We're going to go for it. I'm going to be on Valentine's Day, a Valentine's Day special. And uh, hey, Chloe and Joe and Tiff and Soph, uh, beautiful wife Laura's on here as well. I love it. Come say hi and uh, shouts on in this, in this talk like you would do if you're in the front row. I want to start by doing something a little bit fun. I want to start by doing something a little bit different. And uh, as I thought as a community, we could serenade each other with potentially the greatest love song ever written. Wherever you are, if you're on the sofa with your family, if you're with your flatmates, just gather around, get ready. We're going to sing this beautiful chorus together. We're going to serenade it over each other. If you're watching on the chat, if you're alone eating your dinner, just type the next lyrics into the chat. Okay, are you ready at home? Are you ready in the chat? Are you ready in the studio? Okay, so if I say the words, so I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. I want to, I want to, I want to. One more time, I wanna. Yeah, we beat it. I, t- I really, really, really wanna. Ah, oh, you guys are beautiful. Give yourself a little applause uh, wherever you are, and um, I love you. I can't wait for that to come through in the chat with 30 seconds delay. Uh, I was gonna try and get like a little signed picture of the Spice Girls that you, you know you could take home and say like first in the chat wins a signed Spice Girls thing, but um, didn't get that anyway. Uh, what I really want to chat about today is is relationships. I really want to speak from the proverb of wannabe uh, by the Spice Girls. I'm running 30 seconds late. I can see you guys coming through. I love you guys, Laura. You're wonderful. First one in the chat, and uh, I want to speak from the proverb of wannabe tonight by the Spice Girls. And I see you looking at me. You're like, is this, is this vicar real? Like, he's speaking from, you know, the Spice Girls. Like, out of everything we could have possibly spoken from, the Spice Girls is what he goes to on Valentine's Day. Like, I want something nutritious for myself, but he's gone to the Spice Girls. And you would be right in thinking that. But there is one little beautiful line that I want to pick up on in, um, in this gorgeous song by the Spice Girls, my favorite ever love song. Uh, and it's, if you want to be my lover, make it last forever. Friendship never ends. If you want to be my lover, you have got to give. Taking's just too easy. That's the way it is. And um, I know it's pure 90s cheese, but I'm going I'm to dig into this tonight. I want to say to everyone in the stories watching, thank you. Uh, if you sent in a question, they were mainly from Josh Chesworth. Uh, but if, um, if, you, if you sent in a story, thank you so much. Uh, it's, it's made my day reading them, actually. And actually, I really love the conversations that we've had off the back of it. And so um, what I want to say tonight is that this is, this, this is us trying to have a conversation. Like, if I say something tonight that's outrageous, please tell me. If I say something tonight that you thought, oh, that's interesting, please come back and tell us. Like, we really want dialogue um, about this um, Topic of relationships and Valentine's Day, and uh, Tiff just said, "Are you are you Sporty Spice or Posh Spice, uh, Matt?" I think I don't know. I'd rather be Sporty Spice, but um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna land it there. And so um, that's the kind of banter that I want in this chat. Thank you very much, Tiff. Um, I I, I want to start with a premise, a, a really serious premise before before we kick in, and we're gonna have a bit of a laugh, and we're gonna go you know all places. Um, but I, I wanted to start with a premise that. Um, I'm aware of my lens. I'm aware that I'm a married 30-something-year-old man with kids. I'm aware of that. I'm aware that my sexual needs and desires and practices may be different to some of you and different to what you kind of would expect from me or you or us as a community. I'm aware that we may not share the same sexual identity or theology around relationships and sex and dating. But what I'm trying to do tonight is not find a magic bullet. Like, I don't think there's 
you know, this golden bullet is going to, you know, bring the, you know, everything into order. I don't think that's true. I, what I really want to do is start a conversation because I know that you have opinions, because I know that you have something to say, because we've dialogued together. We've had this conversation because I know that it's real. I know that you're living it. I know that we're, we're doing this together. And I want to just invite anybody watching tonight to have this conversation. This is not an answer, you know, answer all the questions. This is a, a let's chat, let's, let's dialogue, let's have a conversation. The second thing I think is really important to talk about this stuff on Valentine's Day is because our emotional health is so closely tied to our relational health. You know, when our relationships are going well, it has an impact on our emotional health. And when our relationships are going badly, it has an impact on our emotional health. And so our relational health and our emotional health, they're tied in together. They're almost inseparable. And so we should talk about it because we care about where you're up to and who you're with and what's going on in life and how you feel. We really care about those things. Thirdly, um, I think it really matters because it matters to Jesus. Jesus talked openly and honestly and candidly about sex and marriage and what all that all means. And so I think that we should too as a community. We may not always get it right, but we should talk openly and honestly together. Fourthly, it's not in my script. If there's any in your windows tonight, they're not deliberate. So you can laugh at them at home and uh, we can have fun with that later. I, I want to say firstly tonight that there is splendor in singleness. There's splendor in singleness. I wonder whether if like you, if like me, you find it really interesting that Jesus was single. You know, Jesus, the man who was God, the God who was man, the, the man who was probably the most attractive man to ever walk the earth, is single. The man who is God who can win the heart and the, the mind of any woman that he ever desired was single. He chose a single life. That he was a real man driven by real sexual desire, yet he never acts upon them. I guess, side note, that really shows that he was God. But it's fascinating, isn't it, that Jesus is a man who keeps in check his sexual desires. I think it's interesting that the Bible says this, that Jesus was tempted in every single way. It says this in Hebrews, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he does not sin. I wonder whether you read this and you think, oh, that's cute. You know, that's nice. Like, Jesus is a good boy. Like, Jesus didn't steal the sweets from the canteen. Like, Jesus didn't tell a white lie. Jesus didn't pick on the kid. You know, like, Jesus was a nice person. You know, we read this and we wrap it up in its cuteness because it's Jesus. But what it really means, the Bible tells this story about how Jesus is taken out into the wilderness, into the desert where there's no one else around other than him and Satan. And, and he is tested beyond measure. He is tempted beyond measure. You know, real, genuine sexual temptation comes his way. It's placed in front of him. The devil's like, come and have a go. Yet Jesus, Jesus doesn't bite the bait like you and I might. And so it's important that we talk about it because I think that Jesus shows that there is splendor in singleness. I'm going to be candid, out of character, I know. But while, um, while we talk about sex and dating and relationships and marriage and all the rest of it, I think that the culture around us is so clear on where it stands. Like I think our friends on the pub, they'll tell us what we what, what, what they think about this stuff. I think that the Bible is really clear, actually, is really candid about what it thinks. But I think that the church, 
the church has been really vague, really unhelpful. I think it's muddied the waters more than it's cleared them. I think it's been inappropriate, actually, in its vagueness. And I think with that in mind, I think the church has followed the dangerous footsteps of the world around it, and it's downgraded the single life. It's downgraded the single life, and it's painted this picture that being complete means that we're found in the arms of another. And see, what that's done is it's done two things. It's firstly made our spouses into a God-like status, and we become religious in our pursuit for sexual and emotional and romantic relationships. But time and time again, the second thing that it says is that we're not complete. We're not whole unless we've got a guy or girl on our arms making us that way. Like we're two sort of like half-human beings waiting to find another half-human being in order that we may be one whole human being. I want to say that's nonsense. I want to say that you were made perfect, that you were made deliberately, that God loves you, that your situation, your circumstance, your status, that doesn't define who you are. You've already been made gorgeous in God's eyes. That's who you are. I said I'd be candid. I'm going to go one step further. I think taking this approach to wholeness being complete in like marriage is not just untrue, but it's actually anti-Jesus. See, Jesus is the one that wants to complete you. Jesus is the only person who wants to be number one in your life and should have that status. Jesus is the only one that can live up to the promises that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he'll never break any promise that he's promised you, that he'll never let you down or fail you. See, Jesus is the only one that for the rest of your life will be the deliverer, will be your hope, will be your refuge, will be your strength. Jesus is the only one that can deliver and bring you into this most beautiful, incredible incredible life. And that is something that no human being can deliver upon. That's something that only God can do. Again, I'm aware of my situation. I'm not trying to rub salt into wounds. I remember the lostness and the brokenness of a long-term serious relationship ending. I remember how abandoned I felt. I know that the single road is a hard route. But to come back to the prophets, Mel B, Mel C, Sporty, Posh, and Baby Spice, if you want to be my lover, if you want to be my lover. See, when I say that phrase, what's the one word that sticks out to you? If you want to be my lover. Because I bet that it's lover because we're so programmed by society around us to pick up on that one word. But I think that the real key word in that is the word if and then wannabe. The word if. St. Paul writes this, speaking as a single person, he says this, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift. One has that and another has another. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do. See, this is the intentional choice, the intentional call of singleness in order to selfishly pursue God. 
I really believe that this life is just a drop in the ocean compared to eternity. That we really believe 80 years in comparison to like gazillions of years is just a drop in the ocean. And in, the, in that ocean, there'll be no marriage or dating or sex. There'll be the abandonment of beautiful worship. We'll be transfixed by the gorgeousness of God. We'll have the beauty of God displayed on, you know, on show before us. And we get to spend that time worshipping him, to being with him, to knowing him, to feeling his intimacy. Why would we not want to pursue that 100% today, right now? That's what I think we're called to. And that's what I think singleness can offer in a real beautiful way. I loved one of the questions that was sent in. It says this, what do you think is the most powerful prayer about relationships and singleness are? I genuinely believe that the most powerful prayer that you can, you can pray today is, Lord, help me to become more like you. Lord, help me to seek your intimacy above anything else. Help me to know that you complete me more than any human being ever could. See, when we turn to God, he brings the intimacy. When you have no husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance to turn to and you need a moment of intimacy and you turn to God, guess what he does? He brings an intimacy that goes way beyond what any human being could offer, way beyond any sexual desire or fantasy, way beyond any other human touch that you could receive. He brings an intimacy that we desire so deep down that it drives us into this gorgeous place with him. And when we spend time with him, we become more like him, which if you're waiting to meet the guy or girl of your dreams, I would argue is the most attractive quality that you could ever possess. I really believe that the most beautiful thing about you is that you are made in God's image and that you know him intimately and you inhabit his, his characteristics. You become like him. You show him off to the world. That's the most attractive thing that you could ever do. And so we spend time in his presence because it makes us a more gorgeous person. Again, I say all of this, knowing that the single road is genuine struggles and splendor. I know that this single road can feel like it's never ending when you want to meet the right person. I know there are some of you that have been waiting years, that have been in and out toxic relationships, that have been married a few times and are struggling to come to grips with it. I know that there are friends that are widowed and it's painful and it hurts and there are times where you scream at God, why? Why would you do this? And I want to say really sincerely that we are totally here for you. We love you. We care about you. And so does Jesus. You were never built to do that alone. You were never meant to hold those burdens by yourself. Those burdens were meant to be shared. And we want to be a community that can do that. And God wants in on your problems. He loves you. So keep your eyes on the prize. Second thing I want to say is that friendship is our ultimate goal. This Valentine's Day, I want to make it really clear that the goal of every relationship is friendship. You know, we are friends with God. We are friends before we are lovers. We are friends with people who we're not in a romantic relationship with. 
The goal is friendship. I love one of the, the things about my wife is that we were so close friends before we even did that awkward holding of hands for the first time. Before she lent in for the first kiss. It was really me. You know, before that all happened, we were friends. Actually, we were so close. We were such good friends that she helped me plan a proposal to another girl. That's how close of friends we were. And that is why I think we've got through some really rough seasons. Some tough stuff that's been going on in my life. Some stuff that's been going on in her life. We've got through some of the hardest things in life because we are friends. Because we built a friendship that is rock solid. And that's what our, I think our marriage is about. And I think friendship is measured by love given. And love given is the qualitative measure of how well someone has understood what Jesus has done for them. In genuine friendship where real trust is built, that's the place that you can share genuine stuff that's going on in life. Where trust is built, that's where you can share the real stuff that's hurting your heart. In genuine friendship, that's where you can say, look, I just, I, I, this hurts, this is hard. And that is what we are going for. A place where real life conversations are exchanged and life becomes a little bit more beautiful. St. Paul writes this about Christians. He says this, you should be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And I think so many strangers enter this building to get married. You know, normal times, this place would be full of wedding couples in the summer. And they, they get married here because they want this ceremony. They want the church to be this place of ceremony. But I think that we as a community should be joined in a commitment of love. I think that this building, this place, this community, this gathering of friends should be the place that you learn to live again when you've been hurt in the past. This should be the place that you learn to live again when you enter a new relationship. This should be the place that you learn to live again with friends that are difficult. This should be the place that you learn to love again, to do life real good with some of your best friends. Because... This is a place that we find a life-giving relationship with Jesus. And that outplays. And so we no longer see the, just the grandeur of the vows on the wedding day, as beautiful as they are, but we see them outplayed friend to friend, day in, day out. And we see a, an onlooking community who don't call themselves Christians, but they're like, I want in on what they've got. I don't know what it is, but I want in. I want to be part of that. I want the love. I can't understand it, but... There's something going on there. See, that's the community I think that we're called to be. A community that allows the outsider to be transfixed on the way that we love each other really genuinely. And in a way that isn't this emotional, you know, stuff that happens in dating in the early doors, but is real and life-giving. And I guess my third point is that the reason that we put such a high bar on marriage is because marriage is the place that you vow before God, I'm going to put you first. It's you before me. See, the world around us would tell us, take as much as you can get. You know, take as much as you can get. But that's just so not the way that we do things here as a community. I want to say something that's countercultural. I think there's such a seriousness in the covenant and the 
the, the commitment of marriage that Jesus describes between a husband and a wife, that they become one flesh, one organism, operating with one desire to give themselves up for the other completely and fully. Successful marriages, I think, are the ones where both parties have fired the inner selfish voice that says, I'll take what I want. And they've chosen to put the other person first, to love the other person beyond measure, to scrap the self-centered living. And they choose to put the other person's needs before their own. Again, St. Paul, we should just call him the apostle of love. Here he says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. See, this is choosing choosing the habit of dropping the holding of offenses against each other. This is choosing even when you're tired and fed up and it's raining and COVID times and you've got meetings coming out of your ears to give yourself fully to love the other person and put their needs before your own. This is the habit of choosing to love, choosing to support, choosing to encourage, even when you're busy and the kids are being a nightmare and your boss is on your back and you don't know what to do about this, that and everything else that you can't get your head around. That's the place that we're called to love by putting the other person's needs before your own. And I think as a church, we talk about the simplicity simplicity of Marriage, like it's this sort of happy ever after game and, you know, like you're married, it's all going to be, you know, hunky-dory and it's all going to be fine and just crack on with it. But I think some of the most successful marriages are those that are going through genuine disasters and still sticking at it. Those who are going through really hard times. They feel like they are at breaking point due to disaster or finances going wrong or, or ill health or other stuff that could crop up. And yet they both choose to deliberately love each other in a really beautiful way by saying, you before me. I'm going to put your needs before my needs. Because that's what love is. And of course, I can't speak on Valentine's Day on marriage and relationships without speaking about sex. Whenever I marry people, I always tell a joke, an awkward joke. I know it's awkward. I always tell this joke that always gets the the father of the bride on the front row shuffling awkwardly. And I love it. I love that awkwardness of it. If you're going to get married, I'm so sorry. I will tell it at your wedding. I always say this. I always say, you know, in marriage, we don't take love, we make love. In marriage, we don't take love, we, we make love. And I'm going to take a different trail of thought about sex. You would think that by now if you know me for five minutes. But I think that sex is a gift given to married couples in order that they may see past the flaws of their spouses, past the offenses that have been, past the hurts, past the, you didn't remember this, what I was wanting or you don't remember this that I did or you don't appreciate me it's given as a gift to see past the flaws of our spouses and it's an act that we get to genuinely remake love again it's the becoming one again moment in order for the rubber to hit the road and life to get difficult and you have enough love banked in order to out love your spouse to put you before me again and again and again to fully give themselves up for each other. I want to summarize this whole thing. 
Um, I want to summarize this whole thing by um, talking about us all as a collective. I think that one of the reasons that marriage has such a giant part in our society is because it's probably the greatest analogy of the relationship between Jesus and his church. So much of the, the language of marriage is the, is the language that God uses about us. It's demonstrated in the way that Jesus acts and moves, that he talks about the permanency, the sustenancy, the presence and the intimacy that he wants to give us as a community and as a bunch of individuals. The fact that he's promised never to leave us or turn his back on us. The way that he gave himself up for us, literally dying for us. See, all of these things has led us to the place that we don't have a space anymore for selfish egos in our relationships. That we're called to build love, to care, to nourish one another, to be a community with love as its central value, to rewrite what society says about its understanding of how we're to codepend on each other based upon what we see in the Godhead, based upon what we see the way that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit operating, and the way that Jesus loves his church. I think that the only way forward is to love, to fully give yourselves up unselfishly for each other, to put the desires of each other beyond your own, just as Jesus did. We're going to pray and then, and Jess is going to come back and lead us in ministry. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are here. Thank you that you adore us. Thank you, Lord, that your plan is for us to be nourished and sustained. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us a beautiful gift of sex to remake ourselves in your presence. Thank you, Lord, for our spouses. Lord, give us love beyond measure. Give us patience when it's, patience when it's difficult. Help us to know your intimacy. Lord, help us to not fall into the trap of thinking it's about us when really it's about you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We put you first. We find our wholeness in you. Amen. Thank you.